Hello, Bridge Builders! I'm here with some exciting news. The first volume of interviews is now available on Amazon.com. The link can be found at eatlunchandboardgame.com. I promise that all proceeds from sales of this book will go right back into this podcast and channel. Whether that is new and better audio equipment for the podcast, or video equipment for the YouTube channel, or even more games to review, the money will not be wasted. Click over to Amazon and get your copy of Eat Lunch and Board Game, the first course today. And thank you for supporting the show. Welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and today we'll be talking about yet another trilogy of games that has a special place in my heart, the Forbidden Trilogy by Matt Leacock. When I was first entering the world of hobby gaming, I binged a lot of tabletop with Will Wheaton. Like, a lot, a lot. Like, all the episodes that were kid-friendly of the first two seasons and then watched three as it aired, and then bought a subscription to Geek and Sundry for the fourth because the son and I just could not wait. One game that caught my eye early was Matt Leacock's Forbidden Island. This was a second season episode. During the third season, Will and his friends played the follow-up Forbidden Desert. Sadly, the show ended before Will got a group together to play Forbidden Sky. So Will, if you're listening, I would love to play Forbidden Sky with you and a few of your close friends. Anyway, all three of these games are cooperative. Each one steps up the level of challenge. Forbidden Island debuted in 2010, published by GameRight Games, who publishes all of them. It currently holds a 6.8 rating with 43,000 ratings. You and your team are explorers trying to obtain the four idols from the island before it sinks or before one of your characters perishes. Forbidden Desert came out three years later, and it boasts a 7.1 rating with 26,000 ratings. In this game, you and your team have crash-landed in the desert, and you're trying to locate the parts of your airship before succumbing to dehydration or being buried under too much sand. Forbidden Sky is relatively new. It came out in 2018, holds a 6.6 with 2,300 ratings. This time, you and your team are trying to explore and construct a floating platform, and while doing so, make a circuit that will help you launch a ship. In this game, you can fail by getting shocked by lightning too much, running out of rope and falling off the platform, or poor planning leading to your tiles not coming together correctly. I love each of these games in the trilogy, so let's go ahead and take a closer look. Rule Clarity If you play the games in order of release, you can see the progression of the mechanics and gameplay. Each rulebook gets progressively longer, but they are well written. Each game has its own minutiae, but each rulebook explains it very well. Every time I play one of these games, I find that I must quickly consult the rulebook to remember what rules and minutiae are relevant to which game we are currently playing. Other than that, simple and clear rules. Time to explain to newcomers. Again, if you play the games in order, you can build out the previous games to understand the later ones. Forbidden Island is easy to explain and quick to table. You can explain it as you set it up. Forbidden Desert takes a little longer to explain. You have to explain how the storm moves versus just flooding the tiles in Island. You have to explain how the parts of the airship are found. And finally, you must explain the sun beats down in dehydration 
Yet you can still finish the explanation while setting up the game and get a game in over a lunch hour. Lastly, Forbidden Sky requires explaining how the wind works, how rope works, and how lightning works, along with how the circuiting works, both on the tiles and the placed pieces. Sky is by far the hardest to explain, but if your group has played the other two games, you should have no problem explaining Sky and losing the game in your lunch hour. As I will certainly repeat, Forbidden Sky is the hardest and most unforgiving game of this excellent trilogy. Gameplay. We'll start with Forbidden Island. To set up, simply shuffle the tiles and place them in a giant plus sign-like shape as shown in the rules. Then, check and make sure that all the tiles are colored side up. Make sure that you have the decks sorted out. There are three different decks of cards. The Flood deck with the blue back, the Treasure deck with the brownish-orange back, and the six Adventurer cards. Next, you'll need to start flooding the island at this time. This is simple. Shuffle the Flood deck and flip over the top six cards. Flip the corresponding tiles to the flooded side, which is a blue and white version of the colored tile, and your island is completely ready to go. Next, under the table, mix up and then deal a character card to each player. These player cards give each person a special ability. For instance, the pilot can fly to any tile for one action per turn. The diver can swim across missing tiles for an action. But honestly, the, the poor diver seems to be very useless in most games. That player just kind of stands around and his job is to sandbag and flip tiles back over to support the team while they do all the real heavy lifting. Okay, enough of that. Go get off my soapbox there. But the diver does seem kind of useless in the base game. Place all the associated pawns on their respective starting tiles. These are the ones that show the pawn of that color on them. Alright, now you need to shuffle the treasure deck and deal two to each player. Replace any Waters Rise cards with a new card and shuffle the Waters Rise back into the deck. Finally, set the difficulty rating you want to play at on the Waters Rise tracking meter and making sure that you set the clip based on the number of players that you have. Then it's time to game on. On a player's turn, there are four actions to choose from, but only three actions can be taken. You can take each action more than once. You can move one tile orthogonally or diagonally if you are the explorer. Shore up a tile that you are adjacent to or currently on, which means slipping it back to the colored side. The engineer can do two tiles per action. You can capture a treasure figurine by being on one of its two locations and possessing four treasure cards showing that idol. Or you can give a treasure card to another player on your tile. After the actions are done, the active player draws two treasure cards, discards down to five if needed. Then you flip the top cards off the flood deck equal to the current water level. You will start at two cards, but you will quickly move to three. When flipping the cards, it is important to do them one at a time, because if a water's rise card appears, then the clip moves up one space on the water line meter, and all the flipped cards are shuffled and put back on top of the deck. This means that they will be the first to come out again, so you better be shoring up the important tiles. If a flooded tiles card appears again from the flood deck, that card and the tile are removed from the game. Once your island starts to disappear, things get dicey very quickly. The object is to get all four of the figurine idols and make it back to Fool's Landing as a team. If at any time someone drowns because they cannot get to another section of island,
and there's sinks, you all lose. If both tiles for the same idol figurine sinks before obtaining that idol, you all lose. If the fool's landing tile sinks, your helicopter goes with it, and you guessed it, you all lose. Lastly, if somehow none of these other scenarios have occurred, and your water level reaches the skull and crossbones at the top, you lose. This has only happened to me once, and I was playing on Legendary with three people. It was a swift game. Ugly, but swift. Next up, Forbidden Desert. Forbidden Desert adds to Forbidden Island. When you're setting up the desert, you must leave a hole right in the middle of your 5x5 grid of tiles. This is the starting point of the storm. Make sure that all the tiles are face down, showing a desert, maybe the crash site, or some oases. You then start the sanding of the tiles. In a diamond pattern, add one sand tile light side up. The dark side is a bad thing to see. Again, separate the decks, shuffle and deal each player a roll, and give that person a clip to track their water level. Set the four parts of the crashed ship close by. The ship itself needs to be close by as well, but it's really only important for attaching the pieces to it after finding them. Now everyone takes their associated pawn and places it on the crash site tile, set your level of difficulty, and you're ready to begin. The active player takes up to four actions, then draws from the storm deck the required amount, again, one at a time. The actions that can be taken are move one tile orthogonally, remove sand one tile of sand from an adjacent tile, excavate, flip over the tile that you're currently on, or pick up a located part. Moving is the same as in Forbidden Island, and you cannot go through the eye of the storm, and removing sand is similar to shoring up. When removing sand, you remove one sand tile per action. When excavating, many things can happen. You could locate one of the three tunnels, which when the other ones are found, allows you to travel around the board faster and safer, and it also offers protection from the sun. You could find one of the 12 gear tiles, which gives you a gear card. Three tiles have trees on the backsides. Two tiles contain an oasis. One is just a mirage. Also, during your expedition and exploration, you're trying to locate the eight tiles that show either the vertical column or horizontal row of your missing ship parts. Once you have both for a part, then you place that part where the row and column intersect. The part will not move with the storm or the tiles. Lastly, you are trying to locate the fool's landing, only this time it's called the launch pad. In order to win the game, you and your crew must locate all four pieces of the ship and get back to the launch pad. And there are many ways to lose. If someone dies of dehydration, you lose. If you run out of sand tiles, and this does happen, you lose. If you need to increase the intensity of the storm and it has reached the skull and crossbones, you lose. Now, let's talk about that nasty storm. It moves after every turn. You flip over one at a time the number of cards currently showing on your tracker. You start at two and it increases as the game goes on. You then move the eye of the storm, the hole in your board, the number of spaces in the direction shown. To do this, you slide all the tiles and the people on them in the opposite direction of the storm to move the storm. 
You then add sand tiles to any tile moved. If a tile ever reaches three sand tiles, and they will, and they will quickly, pawns can no longer move over them. They must be cleared off back down to two or less, one sand tile at a time. When a storm reaches an edge, or even better, into a corner, any movement in that direction is lost, and that is a good thing. You want your storm to get trapped in a corner and waste movement, not dropping sand tiles all over your board. When a storm picks up, card appears, you increase the meter one notch, perhaps causing more cards to be drawn on the next turn. There are also Sun Beats Down cards. These disasters cause everyone not in a tunnel or under a solar shield, which comes from the gear deck, to lose one water. This game is much more unforgiving than Forbidden Island, but it is a blast. Rooting for the storm to get stuck on an edge and cheering when it does is something unique to this game. Most recently, Game Right released Forbidden Sky. Again, it builds on its predecessors. This time, each player not only has to track their life, but this time they also must keep track of how much rope they have. To set up, place the starting tile, which is a strip that is three tiles together and containing the wind marker in the center of the board. This weather vane tells you which way the wind is blowing in case the wind flares up and sends you sprawling across the platform. To set the difficulty in this version, you pick which circuit you want to build, and the more difficult the circuit, the more capacitors of various sizes and lightning rods you will need to place. The object is to build a complete circuit launching the battery-operated rocket. To do this, you build the floating dock. And according to the flavor text in the rulebook, you are 7,000 feet above the ground. Each player is given a rule card, two clips to track their health and rope, and one starting tile. You then shuffle the dock tile, setting them off to the side, set the required capacitors and lightning rods close by to complete your circuit, separate the decks again into the equipment deck and the storm deck. Lastly, everyone places their pawn on the landing pad part of the starting tile, and you're ready to lose. I mean, play. You're, you're, ready, to, you're ready to play. On the active player's turn, that player takes up to four actions. These are move to an adjacent tile, scout, which is to draw the next tile off the top of the pile with a hand limit of three, explore, place a tile, or wire up the circuit. To explore, a tile must connect at least one copper wire from one tile to the new. It does not have to connect all of them, just one. As you explore, you are trying to work together as a team to build the required capacitor locations and the launch pad. Some of the tiles have half of a small capacitor or a quarter of a large capacitor or a quarter of the launch pad. Some also have the symbol for a lightning rod as well. When one of these is complete, place one from the supply onto the board. The tiles could also feature a few other symbols that will help aid you in your quest to not die in the sky. Seven of the 36 tiles have a teleporter on them. You can move between teleporters for one action. Gear icons appear on 12 tiles, and these give you gear cards similar to those in Forbidden Desert. There are three wind shelters that, well, they shelter you from the effects of the wind. And lastly, four tiles have a Faraday cage on them that protect you from a lightning strike. Now, wiring is just like it sounds. There are 16 wires that can be placed in the game, so be choosy. 
There are 12 short and 4 long. To use the action of wire, you can place or remove a section of wire between two electrical components. After taking actions, the draw storm cards phase happens. And this is rarely a good thing. However, if you've completed your required circuit with everyone on the launch pad by the rocket, the rocket will launch and you win. If not, well, as with the two predecessors, you draw cards based on the current level on your storm meter. A lightning strike card means the platform has been struck at the lightning rods. So you must trace each lightning rod's copper cables, both printed and placed by the players, and anyone not in a Faraday cage will lose one life. A high winds card causes everyone not in a wind shelter to slide one tile in the direction of the wind. If there is no tile there, a section of rope is lost. There are cards that can change the wind, and of course there are cards that can cause you to increase the level of the storm, perhaps making you draw more cards on your next turn. If at the end of the storm card phase, no one has died of electrocution, ran out of rope, and fell 7,000 feet to their death, and the storm meter is still beneath the skull and crossbones, it is the next player's turn. However, if any of these horrible things has happened, or you accidentally complete the circuit without everyone on the rocket, causing it to blast off without everyone, well, you lose. As you can tell, each one of these games ups the ante of its predecessor, and each one is a blast. It took me something like five times playing before I finally beat Forbidden Sky. It is a very unforgiving game. I love it. But it is not easy. Artwork. All three games have amazing artwork by C.B. Kanga. That consistency makes the trilogy feel even more connected. I love the realistic look with the slight tinge of steampunk added in for flavor. Other. As usual, if you search Etsy, a few hits will come up for Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. Mostly player mats. But I'm not going to lie. While looking on Etsy as research for this episode, I saw a 3D printed sandstorm tornado for Forbidden Desert, and I decided I had to have it. I think that will be $9 well spent. I'll post the link in the show notes and pictures on the Facebook once it arrives. There are also pawn replacements. I've always thought that the pawns were by far the weakest part of these games. I see them come and go off of Etsy. Made by people with sculpty clay and way more skill than I possess. You can also find meeple replacements for them at meeplesource.com. I haven't bought them yet because they tend to cost more than the game itself. If you go to the Board Game Geek forums, there is a cool water tower that you can make out of a Pringles can or a thick cardstock. Sadly, I've downloaded these files a long time ago, saved a Pringles can, but I've yet to build it. I don't know why, but maybe I will go ahead and make it soon and post pictures of that on the Facebook page. Also, a lot of times I mention that a box organizer is available to help store the game and its expansions. Each of these games comes with a fantastic molded plastic insert where everything has its place and it makes setup and teardown very efficient and I can appreciate that. Lunchtime Potential each of these games can be played in a launch hour. There is no doubt about that. We have played Forbidden Island for years. It is so much fun and easy to teach. 
One day, two of my fellow co-workers and I decided to set Forbidden Island to its hardest setting. We beat it. Barely, but we beat it. After that, we set out to beat all of our cooperative games on their hardest settings. This idea was met with varying results. Forbidden Desert gets much harder when you have less time to clear sand and excavate. I cannot imagine how hard the hardest setting, Legendary, would be for Forbidden Sky. I mean, I cheated by hand-selecting which roles we took, and we even lied about dying once each, and the Sun and I still couldn't beat the dang game. We finally did get the best of Forbidden Sky, and I don't think we've played it since. We decided to give it some time before we try to defeat it once again. Expansions There are no expansions to any of these games. However, a Google search will find fan-made different layouts for the island and desert that can add a little more spice to your game. I have not tried any of the desert set, but the Sun and I have played many of the island layouts. Some are obviously harder than others, but they do give the diver a chance to do more and be more valuable to the team. So, after playing a few of the basic game, I highly recommend playing with the diver on one of these alternate setups. Give the diver a chance to do his thing. Bang for the buck. As each game gets more complex, each game carries a bit higher MSRP. GameRite, however, puts a lot of production value into each game. Forbidden Island's treasure figurines are beautifully rendered in hard plastic and resin. Forbidden Desert's airship and many parts are plastic and the engine is die-cast. Forbidden Sky's rocket ship lights up and makes noise when you complete the circuit. All games come with nice, thick chipboard tiles and disaster trackers. All the decks of cards are nice linen finish high-quality cards. The pawns are the only cheap part. They are just cheap plastic game pawns. Each game is worth their MSRP, though. Island carries a $20 MSRP, Desert $27, and Sky is $40. Keep your eyes out, though, for these at big box stores. I seriously picked up my copy of Forbidden Island on sale for $12.99 at Target, and I had a $5 gift card burning a hole in my pocket, so it's probably the best $8 game I have ever purchased. In summary... As I've mentioned, I saw the first two games played on tabletop and I knew that I just had to have them. I've been playing Forbidden Island for a long time, and while I do find it a bit on the easy side, even set to Legendary, it still brings me joy to play it. It's a great entry game for cooperative games. Desert and Sky have not seen as much table time as Island, and I think that's because of the simplicity of Island. The Sun and I will play any of them, though, so we usually let the other person choose which one they want to play. The Sun and I lost two straight Sky games, and we thought we were playing the game wrong. Nope, it was just whooping us bad. I didn't score a win against Forbidden Sky until I took it to work, and we played it at lunch on a Friday with a full table. And that win was so shocking that, again, I couldn't believe it, and I consulted the rulebook to see if we'd messed up the rules. Nope, we had just got its number that day. And that is what makes these games so much fun to play. You can have a strategy for what you're going to do on your turn, then the flip of one simple, innocent-looking card wrecks everything. Yes, we tend to win Island more than we lose. Yes, we lose Sky more than we win, and yes, it's about a 50-50 on Desert. But that's all kind of the beauty of these fantastic cooperative games. Each one has its pluses and minuses. I love them all, and your group will too.
You can reach out to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash eatlunchandboardgame. Email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room, which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist, and maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3C Media, and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.